0: Section 41 chapter 35 part 2 of dearbrook this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by gary day dearbrook by harriet martineau chapter 35 part 2 boating both sophia and mr walcott much preferred each other's company to the damp and shadow of the interior of the abbey. They walked off together and gathered meadow flowers, and admired poetry and poets, till all were summoned, and they were compelled to join the groups who were converging from copse, brook, poultry-yard, and cloister, towards the green before the farmhouse, where, after all, the long tea-table was spread. The reason of Hope's anxiety to consign Sophia to Mr. Wolcott's charge was that he saw Enderby pacing the aisle alone with rapid steps, his face hung with gloom, as deep as darkened the walls about him. "'Enderby, are you mad?' cried Hope, hastening in to him. "'I believe I am. As you are aware, no man has better cause.' "'I await your explanation. Till I have it, your conduct is a perfect mystery to Margaret, or to me for her. You must explain yourself.' and that, immediately. In the meantime, I do not know how to address you, how to judge you." Then Mrs. Grey has not told you of our conversation of this morning?" No, said Hope, his heart suddenly failing him. The whole dreadful story has become known to me, and I am thankful that it is revealed before it is too late. My sister is sometimes right, however she may be often wrong. She has done me a cruel kindness now. I know all, Hope; how you loved Margaret; how, when it was too late, you discovered that Margaret loved you; how, when I burst in upon you and her, she was-oh, why did I ever see her again?--she was learning from you the absurd resolution which Mrs Grey had been urging upon you, by working upon your false sense of honour a sense of honour of which I am to have none of the benefit, since, after marrying the one sister out of compassion, and to please Mrs. Gray, you turn the other over to me, innocent in soul and conscience. I know, but no longer with virgin affections, you give her to me for your mutual security and consolation." "'Enderby, you are mad!' cried Hope, his strength being roused by this extent of accusation from the depression caused by the mixture of truth in the dreadful words philip had spoken but mad deluded or wicked however you may have been wrought into this state of mind there are two things which must be said on the instant and regarded by you in all coming time these charges as they relate to myself had better be spoken of at another opportunity and when you are in a calmer state of mind But meanwhile I, as a husband, forgive you to speak lightly of my beloved and honoured wife, and I also charge you, as you revere the purity of Margaret's soul, of the innocent soul and conscience of which you speak, that you do not convey to her, by the remotest intimation, any conception of the horrible tale with which some wretch has been deluding you, she never loved any one but you. If you pollute and agonise her imagination with these vile fancies of your sister's,--for from whom else can such inventions come?--remember that you peril the peace of an innocent family. You poison the friendship of sisters, whom bereavement has bound to each other, and deprive Margaret of all that life contains for her. You will not impair my wife's faith in me, I am confident, but you may turn Margaret's brain if you say anything to her like what passed your lips just now. It seems but a short time, Enderby, since we committed Margaret's happiness to your care, and now I have to appeal on her behalf to your honour and conscience. Mrs. Grey, Mrs. Grey, Enderby repeated, fixing his eyes upon Hope's countenance the quarrel between you and me shall be attended to in its turn enderby i must first secure my wife and margaret from any rashness on your part if you put distrust between them and pollute their home by the wildest of fancies it will be better for you that these walls should fall upon us and bury us both oh that they would cried philip i am sick of living in the midst of treachery My life is a waste to a man treated as I have been. Answer me, Enderby, answer me this instant, Hope cried, advancing to place himself between Enderby and Margaret, whom he saw now entering the ruin and rapidly approaching them. You are right, said Enderby aloud, you may trust me. Philip, what am I to think, said Margaret, walking quite up to him and looking intently in his face? I hardly know whether we are living and in our common world. Hope shuddered to see the glance she cast around the dreary place. Philip half turned away and did not speak. Why will you not speak? What reason can there be for this silence? When you last left me you feared your sister might make mischief between us, and then I promised that if such a thing could happen as that I should doubt you. I would tell you my doubt as soon as i was aware of it myself and now you are angry with me you would strike me dead this moment if you dared and you will not speak go now margaret said hope gently he cannot speak to you now take my word for it that he cannot i will not go i will take nobody's word what are you edward between me and him it is my right to know how i have offended him I require no more than my right. I do not ask him to love me, nor need I, for he loves me still, I know it and feel it." It is true," said Enderby, mournfully gazing upon her agitated countenance, but retreating as he gazed. I do not ask to be yours any farther than I am now, now when our affections are true and our word is broken. But I DO INSIST UPON YOUR ESTEEM, AS FAR AS I HAVE EVER POSSESSED IT. I HAVE DONE NOTHING TO FORFEIT IT, AND I DEMAND YOUR REASONS FOR SUPPOSING THAT I HAVE." NOT NOW, SAID PHILIP, FAINTLY, SHRINKING IN THE PRESENCE OF THE TWO CONCERNING WHOM HE ENTERTAINED, SO PAINFUL A COMPLEXITY OF FEELINGS. THERE STOOD HOPE, FIRM AS THE PILLAR BEHIND HIM. THERE STOOD MARGARET, agitated but unabashed, as the angels that come in dreams. Was it possible that these two had loved? Could they then stand before him thus? But Mrs. Gray, what she admitted, this, in confirmation with other evidence, could not be cast aside. Yet Philip dared not speak, fearing to injure beyond reparation. "'Oh, Margaret, not now,' he faintly repeated my heart is almost broken. Give me time. You have given me none. Let that pass, however, but I cannot give you time. I cannot hold out. Who can hold out? Under injurious secrecy, under mocking injustice, under torturing doubt from the one who is pledged to the extreme of confidence? Let us understand one another, and we shall never meet more and I will endure whatever must be endured, and we shall have time, oh, what a weary time, to learn to submit, but not till you have given me the confidence you owe, the last I shall ever ask from you. Will I endure one moment's suspense? I will not give you time." "'Yes, Margaret, you will, you must,' said Hope. It is hard, very hard, but Enderby is so far right. God help me, for everyone is against me," cried Margaret, sinking down among the long grass and laying her throbbing head upon the cold stone. He comes without notice to terrify me by his anger, me whom he loves above all the world. He leaves my heart to break with his unkindness in the midst of all these indifferent people. He denies me the explanation I demand, and you, you of all others, tell me he is right. I will do without protection, since the two who owe it forsake me. But God is my witness how you wrong me." Enderby, why do you not go? said Hope sternly. Almost before the words were spoken, Enderby had disappeared at the farther end of the aisle. Patience, Margaret, a little patience, my dear sister. All may be well. All must be well for such as you but I mean that I trust all may be repaired. He has been wrought upon by some bad influence. Then all is over, if knowing me as he did. But, Edward, do not speak to me. Go. Leave me. I cannot speak another word now. I cannot leave you here. This is no place for you. Think of your sister Margaret. You will do nothing to alarm her. If she were to see you now—' Margaret raised herself took her brother's arms, and went out into the air. No one was near. Now leave me, brother, I must be alone. I will walk here, and think what I must do. But how can I know, when all is made such a mystery? O brother, tell me what I ought to do. Calm yourself now, command yourself, for this day you, innocent as you are, may well do so. If I had such a conscience as yours, If I were only in your place, Margaret, If I had nothing to bear but wrongs, I would thank heaven As heaven was never yet thanked. You, Edward! If the universe heaped injuries on upon me, They should not crush me. If I had a self-respect like yours, I would lift my head to the stars. You, Edward! Margaret, wretched as you are, Your misery is nothing to mine. Have pity upon me, and command yourself, For my sake and your sisters. Look and act like yourself, And hope peacefully, trust steadily, That all will yet be right. It cannot be that you have wronged me, brother. You sent him from me, I know, and that was unkind, But you could never really wrong anyone. I never meant it. I honour you, and would protect you. I will protect you, as a brother should. Only do not say again that you are forsaken. It would break our hearts to hear you say that again. I will not, and I will try to be for to-day as if nothing had happened, but I promise no more than to endeavour. I am so bewildered. Then I will leave you. I shall not be far off. No one shall come to disturb you. There is perhaps no mood of mind in which it is impossible for the sweet ministrations of nature to be accepted. Even now, as Margaret stood on the river-bank, the influences of the scene flowed in upon her. The operations of thought were quickened, and she was presently convinced that the next time she saw Philip she should learn all, she might even find him repentant for having been weak and credulous. Edward's self-reproach was the most inexplicable mystery of all. In his brotherly grief he had no doubt exaggerated some slight carelessness of speech, some deficiency of watchfulness and zeal. Hester must never know of these sorrowful things that Edward had said. There was substantial comfort in other of his words. It was true that she was only wronged. In her former season of wretchedness, it had been far worse there was not only disappointment but humiliation loss not only of hope but of self-respect now she was innocent of any wrong towards philip and herself and in this consciousness and any lot must be supportable while thus musing she walked slowly along sighing away some of her oppression her heart and head throbbed less her eye was caught by the little fish that leaped out of the water after the evening flies. She stood to watch them. The splash of a water rat roused her ear, and she turned to track him across the stream. Then she saw a fine yellow iris growing among the flags on the very brink, and she must have it for Maria. To reach it without a wetting required some skill and time. She tried this way, she tried that. But the flower was just out of reach. She went to the next alder bush for a bow, which answered her purpose, and she had drawn the tuft of flags toward her, and laid hold of the iris when Sidney shouted her name from a distance and summoned her to tea. Maria was seated at the table amidst the greater proportion of the party when Margaret arrived, escorted by Sidney and followed at a little distance by Mr. Hope. Never had Flower been more welcome to Maria than this Iris, offered to her with a smile. Pale as the face was, and heavy as were the eyes, there was a genuine smile. Maria had kept a place for Margaret, which she took, though Mrs. Grey kept gazing at her, and assured her that she must sit beside her. Mr. Enderby was not to be seen. Frequent proclamation was made for him, but he did not appear, and it was settled that if he preferred wood-ranging to good cheer, he must have his own way. Tea passed off well enough. Dr. Levitt and Mr. Hope went over the subject of the abbey again, for the benefit of the rearward portion of the company, who had not heard it before. Mr. Rowland and the farmer discussed the bad crops. Sophia spilled her tea, from Mr. Walcott having made her laugh when she was carrying the cup to her lips, and Sydney collected a portion of every good thing that was on the table for Mr. Enderby to enjoy on his return. Mr. Enderby did not return till it was quite time to be gone. Mr. Gray had long been hurrying the servants in their business of packing up plates and spoons. He even offered help, and repeated his cautions to his guests not to stray beyond call. The farmer shook his head as he looked up at the leaven-coloured sky across which black masses of cloud, like condensed smoke, were whirled and prophesied a stormy night. There was no time to be lost. The boatmen came bustling out of the farm kitchen, still munching, and they put the boats in trim with all speed, while the ladies stood on the bank quite ready to step in. Mrs. Grey assorted the two parties, still claiming Margaret for her own boat but allowed Maria to enter instead of Sydney. Hope chose to remain with them, so Dr. Levitt exchanged with Sophia. Mr. Walcott thought there was a lion in his path either way, Mr. Hope, his professional rival, in one boat, and Mr. Enderby, whom he fancied he had offended, in the other. He adhered to Sophia as a sure ally. "'Mr. Enderby, where can he be?' was the exclamation when all were seated and the boatmen stood ready to start, with the tow-rope about their shoulders. When the dame of the farm made her parting curtsy, and had stepped a few paces backwards, after a swimming obeisance, the farmer was running over the meadow towards the copse in search of the missing gentleman, and Sidney would have sprung out of the boat to join in the chase, when his father laid a strong hand on him, and said that one stray member of a party on a threatening evening was enough, He could not have people running after one another till the storm came on. Mr. Rowland was full of concern and would have had Sydney throw away the basket full of good things he had hoarded for his friend. If Enderby chose to absent himself for his own enjoyments, Mr. Rowland said, he could not expect to share other people's. Hope was standing up in the first boat, gazing anxiously round, and Margaret's eyes were fixed on his face when everybody cried out at once, here he is, here he comes, and Enderby was seen leaping through a gap in the farthest hedge and bounding over the meadows. He sprang into the boat with such a force that set it rocking, and made the ladies catch at whatever could be grasped. "'Your hat!' exclaimed several voices. "'Why, Mr. Enderby, where is your hat?' cried Sydney, laughing. Enderby clapped his hand on top of his head. And declared he did not know. He had not missed his hat till that moment. Hope called from the first boat to the farmer, and asked him to look in the aisle of the Abbey for the gentleman's hat. It was bought thence, and Fanny and Maria laughed at Mr. Hope, for being such a good guesser as to fancy where Mr. Enderby's hat might be, when Mr. Enderby did not know himself. The moment the hat was tossed into the lap of its owner, Mr. Grey's voice was heard shouting to the men, "'Start off and get us home as soon as you can!' The men gave a glance at the sky and set forth at a smart pace. Mr. Grey saw that the umbrellas lay at his hand, ready for distribution, and advised each lady to draw her cloak about her, as the air felt to him damp and chill. A general flatness being perceptible, someone proposed that someone else should sing." All declined at first, however, except Maria, whose voice was always most ready when it was most difficult to sing, when the party was dull or when no one else would begin. She wanted to prevent Margaret's being applied to, and she sang once and again on the slightest hint. Sophia had no music books and could not sing without the piano, as everyone knew beforehand, she would say. Mrs. Grey dropped a tear to the memory of Mrs. Enderby, whose ballad was never wanting on such occasions of these. Sydney concluded that it was the same thought which made Mr. Enderby bury his head in his hat between his knees while Miss Young was singing. It could not surely be all from shame at having kept the party waiting. It was with some uncertainty and awe that he whispered in his friend's ear, Don't you think you could sing your new song that Cousin Margaret is so fond of? do, we are all as flat as flounders, and everybody will be asleep presently if we don't do something. Can't you get over a thing or two and sing for us? I'm sure I would if I only could. Enderby shook his head without raising it from his knees. Mr. Walcott had no idea of refusing when he was asked. He could sing the Canadian boat song, but he was afraid they might have heard it before. Never mind that. Let us have it," said everybody, but there should be two. It is a duet, properly, you know. Sophia believed she could sing that, just that, without the piano, she would try the first part if he would take the second. Mr. Grey thought to himself that his daughter seemed to have adopted his hint about civility to his guests very dutifully. But Mr. Walcott could only sing the first part because he had a brother at home who always took the second. He could soon learn it, he had no doubt, but he did not know it at present. So he had the duet all to himself, uplifting a slender voice in a very odd key, which Fanny and Mary did not quite know what to make of. They looked around into all the faces in the boat to see whether anyone was going to laugh. But everyone was immovable, except that Sophia whispered softly to Miss Young, that mr walcott was a most delightful young man after all so accomplished and so refined mr walcott's song ended with a quaver from a large cold startling drop of rain falling upon his nose as he closed his eyes to draw out his last note he blushed at having started and flinched from a drop of rain and so spoiled his conclusion some of his hearers supposed he had broken down till assured by others that he had finished, then everybody thanked him and agreed that the rain really was coming on. There were now odd fleeces of white cloud between the lead colour and the black. They were hurried about in the sky evidently by counter-currents. The river was almost inky in its hue, and every large drop made its own splash and circle. Up went the umbrellas in both boats but almost before they were raised some were turned inside out, and all were dragged down again. The gust had come and brought with it a pelt of hail, large hailstones, which fell in at Fanny's collar behind while she put down her head to save her face, and which almost took away Mary's breath by coming sharp and fast against her cheeks. Then somebody descried a gleam of lightning quivering in the grey roof of the sky, and next everyone saw the tremendous flash which blazed over the surface of the water all round about. How Mr. Walcott would have quavered if he had been singing still, but a very different voice was now to be heard, the hoarse thunder rolling up, like advancing artillery, first growling, then roaring, and then presently crashing and rattling overhead. The boatsman's thoughts were for the ladies. Exposed as they were, "'without the possibility of putting up umbrellas. "'It felt almost dark to those in the boats, "'as they cut rapidly, more and more rapidly, "'through the water which seethed about the bows. "'The men were trotting, running. "'Presently it was darker still. "'The bent heads were raised, "'and it appeared that the boats were brought to, "'under the wide branches of two oaks "'which overhung the water. "'The woods were reached already. "'Shelter for the ladies, sir!' said the panting boatman, touching their hats and then taking them off to wipe their brows. Mr. Gray looked doubtful, stood up to survey and then asked if there were no farm, no sort of house, anywhere near. None nearer than your village, where the spire was, and that was very little nearer than Deerbrook itself. The ladies who were disposed to say anything observed that they were very well as they were. The tree kept off a good deal of the hail, And the wind was not felt quite so much as on the open river should they sit still or step on shore sit still by all means packed closely as they were they would be warmer and drier than standing on shore and they were now ready to start homewards as soon as the storm should abate it did not appear that there was any abatement of the storm in five minutes nor in a quarter of an hour the young people looked up at the elder ones as if asking what to expect several of the party happened to be glancing in the same direction with the boatman, when they saw a shaft of lightning strike perpendicularly from the upper range of cloud upon the village spire and light it up lord bless us exclaimed mr gray as the spire sent its smoke up like a little volcano fanny burst out a crying but was called a silly child and desired not to make a noise Everyone was silent now, most hiding their faces, that they might not see what happened next. Halfway between the river and the smoking church, in the farther part of the opposite meadow, was a fine spreading oak, under which, as might just be seen, a flock of sheep were huddled together for shelter. Another fiery dart shot down from the dark canopy under the crown of this oak. The tree quivered and fell asunder its fragments lying in a circle. There was a rush forth of such of the sheep as escaped, and a rattle of thunder which would have overpowered any ordinary voices, but in the midst of which a scream was heard from the first boat. It was a singular thing that, in talking over this storm in the days after at home, no lady would own this scream. "'I am thinking, sir,' said Ben, as soon as he could make himself heard, WE ARE IN A BAD PLACE HERE, AS THE STORMS SEEM THICKENING THIS WAY. WE HAD BEST GET FROM UNDER THE TREES FOR ALL THE HAIL. DO SO, BEN, AND MAKE HASTE. WHEN THE FIRST BOAT WAS brought OUT A LITTLE INTO THE STREAM, IN ORDER TO CLEAR IT OF THE FLAGS, MARGARET BECAME AWARE THAT PHILIP WAS GAZING EARNESTLY AT HER FROM THE OTHER BOAT. SHE ALONE OF THE LADIES HAD SAT WITH FACE UPRAISED, WATCHING THE ADVANCE OF THE STORM. She alone, perhaps, of all the company, had enjoyed it with pure relish. It had animated her mind, and restored her to herself. When she saw Philip leaning back on his elbow, almost over the edge of the boat, to contemplate her, she returned his gaze with such an expression of mournful wonder and composed sorrow, as moved him to draw his hat over his eyes and resolve to look no more. The storm abated but did not cease, rain succeeded to hail, lightning still hovered in the air, and thunder continued to growl afar off. But the umbrellas could now be kept up, and the ladies escaped with a slight wetting. Before the party dispersed from the wharf, Hope sought Philip, and had a few moments' conversation with him, the object of which was to agree upon further discourse on the morrow hope and margaret then accompanied maria to her lodging and walked thence silently home hester was on the watch for them a little anxious lest they should have suffered from the storm and ready with some reflections on the liabilities of parties of pleasure yet blithe and beaming her countenance fell when she saw her sister's pale face margaret how you look cried she cold wet and weary And ill, too, I am sure. Cold, wet, and weary, Margaret admitted. Let me make haste to bed. And do you make tea for Edward, and send some up to me? Good night, I cannot talk now. Edward will tell you. Tell me what? Hester asked her husband, when she found that Margaret had really rather have no attendance. That Margaret is unhappy, love, from some misunderstanding with Enderby, some busy devil, I have no doubt the same that caused so much mischief already has come between him and margaret he then told the story of philip's sudden appearance and his conduct throughout the day omitting all hint that any conversation with him had taken place he hoped in conclusion that all would be cleared up and the mutual faith of the lovers restored hester thought this impossible if philip could be prejudiced against margaret By any man or woman on earth or any devil in hell there must be an instability in his character to which margaret's happiness must not be committed hope was not sure of this there were circumstances of temptation modes of delusion under which the faith of a seraph might sink but worse still hester said was his conduct of today torturing margaret's affections wounding her pride insulting her cruelly in the presence of all those among whom she lived. Hope was disposed to suspend his judgment even upon this. Enderby was evidently half frantic; his love was undiminished, it was clear; it was the soul of all the madness of to day. Margaret had conducted herself nobly; her innocence, her faith must triumph at last they might bring her lover to her side again. Hester had little doubt, but she did not see what could now render Philip worthy of Margaret. This had always been her apprehension, how, after the passions of this day, could they ever be as they had been, and tears as gentle as and sorrowful as Margaret had ever shed for her, now rained from Hester's eyes be comforted my hester my generous wife be comforted you live for us you are our best blessing my love and we can never bear to see you suffer for her be comforted and wait trust that the retribution of this will fall where it ought and that will never be upon our margaret pray that the retribution may fall where it ought and that its bitterness may be intense as the joy which margaret and you deserve I never knew you so revengeful, Edward," said his wife, taking the hand he held before his eyes. "'Shall I admonish you for once? Shall I give you a reproof for wishing woe to our enemies? Shall I remind you to forgive, fully, freely, as you hope to be forgiven?' Yes, love, anything for the hope of being forgiven. Ah, how deep such sorrow for Margaret is! Grief always humbles us in our own eyes. Such humiliation is the test of sorrow. Bless you, love, that you grieve so for Margaret. End of section 41, chapter 35, part 2.